If you've got yourselves a Bible, would you please turn in it to 1 Thessalonians. Now, most of you, oh, I know this, that's good. I hope you know this. If you don't know this, please talk to me afterwards, and I'd love to have a chat with Paul and Minda and ask why you don't know this. But, but um, I, I, I've just, like, days are numbered. Days are short. I, I don't know where you stand in all this. There's an urgency about the hour we're living in. It's not a fearful thing. It's just the reality of life. And there's a lot changing and a lot happening. And, and so I, I want to be true to the Word of God, not true to what I think you should hear. I've got some great stories. I'd love to tell you some of the stories that we've got. But actually, at the end of the day, God's not watching over my stories. He's watching over His Word. And I say that because we've been through some stuff, all of us. And I think the crazy times require us to come to the Word of God again and say, what does God have to say in all of this? In 2019, uh, it was November, just a couple of months before COVID and the shutdown, uh, global shutdown. I was in Toronto, which I know is not that far from here, I believe. It's somewhere just there. But I was preaching at a conference in Toronto, and I was preaching around this emphasis that God's calling His church to be a praying church. It's time to pray. We need to get back to prayer. And that's not new, but it's needed to be reminded. We need to pray together. And I was preaching at our conference and that. And one of my friends, a prophetic man, came over to me afterwards. He said, it's interesting, I had a dream last night. And I'm just going to be honest, when prophets dream, I get nervous. And just because they're pretty weird anyway, but when they're dreaming, I don't know. No, I'm just, I'm being honest. But they're on my team, and that's fine. And he came to me and said, I had this dream last night. I said, that's cool. What did you dream? And he said, well, I dreamt that I was driving. Some of you heard this, but it's, it's the reason I want to emphasize what I am saying this morning. He said he was driving a vehicle full of people to an NCMI prayer meeting. The team that I'm privileged to lead, we were hosting a, t a prayer meeting, and he was driving a vehicle full of people to that prayer meeting. He said he dropped them all off at the prayer meeting, and he went and parked his vehicle in the, in the, in the, in the car park. Um, and then he said that he got out of his vehicle and started walking to the prayer meeting, and then he remembered that he'd left his Bible and his notes, because he's a preacher, in his vehicle. So he went back to the vehicle only to find the vehicle was gone. I could say some bad things about Detroit and say, yeah, it wasn't in Detroit, it was Toronto. Sorry, sorry. But he said that the vehicle was gone. And he was pretty upset. Not that the vehicle was gone, but he was, just, he was upset that his Bible and his notes were gone. And so he turned back to walk towards the prayer meeting, and he found his Bible on the sidewalk in the, in the car park, but the vehicle was gone, his notes were gone. And, and then he said, we all came out of the prayer meeting and said, hey, man, where were you? You missed this great prayer meeting. And then he woke up, and he said, this is my interpretation of the dream that I had. He said that the vehicle that he was driving represented ministry or the church. It was gone. It disappeared. It was taken. Now, this was before we all had a world shutdown, right? And he said, and what's interesting is that God was saying that coming out of whatever's facing us, it's going to require us to be a people of prayer because I was on a way to a prayer meeting, and it's going to require us to be a people of the Word because it's the only thing I found was the Bible, not my notes, but the Bible. And so when he told me that, I'm like, yeah, there's my confirmation, prayer meeting, that's what it's about. Two months later, the whole world shut down. When I asked him, did you know about COVID and the shutdown? He goes, no, of course not. But the way we knew church and ministry ceased globally for a moment. The whole world shut down. We were not allowed to gather, and we had to find different ways. But I didn't even put it together till like a year later that actually God gave us a bit of a warning. Not that we could have done anything, but we could have been more aware. But one thing I do realize is that there are two things he spoke about that need to happen in the next season. Number one, we need to pray. And number two, we need only the Word of God, nothing else. Now, let, let me step on your toes a little this morning. Because so often we say the Word of God is the book of promises from God to us. And I want to just say that's not true. Because since I, we went to that, I went back to the Word of God, and I did read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation again. It's not a random book of promises that God promises over your and my life, like most preachers tell the church today. It's actually the Word of God that reveals the plan and the purposes of God. And when you and I are walking in the plans and the purposes of God, that's when we have the right to stand and receive on the promises of God. God ain't giving you promises if you're not walking in His purpose. 
And we've got a great number of preachers who tell you, you read this text and God loves you and He's got a plan for your life. And that's all cool, but God has a bigger plan, a plan He wants us to fit in, not He's going to be squeezed into our lives. Now, people get offended when I'm saying this, but I'm just trying to be biblical and say, actually, it's no longer our notes we need, it's the Word of God. And the Word of God reveals the purpose of God. And when you're walking towards His purpose for you and your church, that's when you can claim the promises of God. But God ain't promising something He didn't, he, out of context, if you're not walking in the purpose. And so for me, the purposes of God matter more at times than the promises of God. Because if I'm walking in His purpose, then I can claim His promise. And so this morning, what I want to do is take us back to the Word of God and show you what God's Word has to say for us as individuals and as a local church and say that's somewhat of the purpose of God. And if we can walk towards that, then by all means, be claiming the promises. But to stand up here and tell you God loves you, and He does love you, and He has a plan for you, but His plan is not your plan. His plan is His plan for you to walk in. Does that make sense? All right. This is America. This is Detroit. Come on. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. All right. So I want to talk about the church this morning, but I want to do it in the context of Jesus. Because what I want to say to you is I love Jesus and I love His church. But a lot of people (laughs) love the church but don't love Jesus. And I want to say you can love the church and not love Jesus, but you can't love Jesus and not love His church. He gives you a love for His people when you get a love for Him. And so while I talk about the church this morning, it's not about us, it's about Him. So I believe that the church is not the center of God's plan. I said this to some of the leadership guys yesterday. The church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is. The church is not about people, and I know that offends the church, but it's the church is not about people. The church is about Jesus. It's a people who are about Jesus. If it's about people, then it's all about us. If it's a people who are about Him, how many of you know, then it's all about Him. That's what the church should be about. So the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is. But in saying that, the church is central to God's plan. In other words, we play a major role in what God's doing here on earth. And that's what we want to speak into this morning. I, I want to talk a little about favor, and that could freak people out, because I've heard some preaching on favor before, and wow, sounds awesome. <laughs> but I want to talk about favor and the church that God favors. I don't believe you can earn favor here, all right? If you can earn favor, it's not favor, it's earned. But there's something in Scripture where we see a church, a people, a group that God seemed to favor. When I look at that and I understand, and Paul writes to this church and he highlights some things in that church, about that church, and says some good stuff. I'm saying, well, then that's the Word of God for us to say, well, those are some things we should be looking at if we want to walk in the favor of God. Not earned, not a formula, just some stuff, priorities that focuses that we can give ourselves to in all the distraction. And I look around and no doubt all of you have got different upbringings, you've come from different places, but you've also got different church background and, and we all come together for what God wants to do, but we all got understandings of what we should be doing and how we should be doing. And I get that, but we've got to go back to what God says is important, not what we've been taught. You with me? I, I think there's some things I think are more important than what I'm going to read. But it seems that God wanted us to read His Word, not Tyron's notes that were left on the sidewalk when the car was stolen. Favor. See, God's favor doesn't always look like we think it looks. A lot of people ask for favor with God, And then they turn around expecting favors from God. (laughs) I want favor with you, Lord. Now, do me favors, Lord. That's not favor, friends. That is out of reality, out of context. There's a big difference between the two. Here's what I believe. God's favor is the guarantee of His presence and the provision of His power to accomplish His purpose in and through our lives. It's the guarantee of His presence and the provision of His power to accomplish His purpose in and through our lives. 
That, I believe, is the biblical understanding of favor. It's intended not for our convenience, but for His purpose. And it doesn't mean your life gets easier when you carry the favor of God. It, in fact, almost certainly guarantees that your life is going to get harder. Guarantee of His presence and the guarantee of His power and provision that we may serve plans and the purposes of God. And there is something, even if you don't know it, I believe it, of the favor of God in this place over this people, even though you can't see it and it's measured differently to what you would say, God has favored you. You are a favored people. And you can't earn it, but you can keep it if you keep contending for what we see through Scripture. If you stay true, focused on the things that God seems to favor. And we see something here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, interesting, people say to me all the time, and even today, like, gee, if only we lived in Bible days, how much easier it would be. Seriously. And I'm like, have you actually read the Bible? Like, wow, they didn't go through COVID. No, they went through the stuff we're doing today, they were put in prison for. For me saying this, they were locked up. Now, maybe that's coming, I don't know, but we're not there yet. They were there all the time. If only we lived in Bible days, how much easier, really? If only we had Jesus with us and we could follow him. And I mean, Jesus said, you're not fit to follow me. Try to follow me. I just, it wasn't easier with all due respect. So we could read the Bible and go, oh, if only. The Lord says, no, I put you here today. Same truth, live differently, but not easier or worse. Just come to what I've understood you to do. And here's what I want to say about the Thessalonica church. It was birthed and planted in opposition. No one was welcoming them into the city and cheering them and saying, so glad we got another church, so glad you're here, welcome in. They were opposed, they were limited, there was a persecution, they were anti what they were doing. Sometimes we, the church, think if only people would celebrate us, then we could get the job done. God got the job done with no people celebrating them. I'm praying for the favor of God, but the favor is not people will love you. The favor is we have the presence and the power and the provision of God to serve the purposes of God. And God's not waiting for convenient times to launch churches or to multi-site or to plant or to be the light. He's looking for every season for when things get darker, the light shines brighter. We need more lampstands and the, the lampstand to shine the light in the darkness. And our great nation is losing its way. And I think biblically it's going to lose its way. I'm not fighting you on that. But the church should run brighter when things are getting more difficult. But we kind of feel like God's not with us. God has you in the sweet spot of His plan and purpose right here, right now to serve. And He's with you and He's given you all that you need to do. So it's not going to be easier, but you can carry His power, His presence, and His provision to serve His purpose. That's what the early church faced. That's what the Thessalonica church was facing when they were birthed and planted. And Paul writes to them, and he highlights a few things about that church. And interesting how that church was established in two Sabbaths, three Sabbaths, two Sabbaths, three Sabbaths, two or three. Read the Bible, it's in there. I'm shocked. I mean, listen, we plan churches all over the world all the time. I've never seen a church established in that quicker time. And you say, well, it was the times. No, no, it was what they emphasized, the purpose and the focus. People were on board with what God was doing. So it's not about how big you are. It's about establishing churches everywhere that are strong, that understand their call, that are able to express it differently. And I want to tell you, express it differently. You have the freedom in God to express it how He's called you to. You don't have to be like any other people. And even in this room, you need to be free to be you. But you can't be free to be you without representing Him. He's not trying to clone everyone and make you all the same. He doesn't want that. He made us different, so let's celebrate that. But not where we're better than anyone else. We just want to serve the plans and purposes of God. So let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. 
You see, fear rises in the absence of faith. And it does seem that the church, unfortunately, is gripped with fear because of all the crazy stuff. Just dare even turn on the news for one minute. And you, I, I'm like, I can't cope. We're done. I, I, when I travel and they dare put the news on on the airplane, I land in America thinking, I wonder if America's still here. Like, is there, not, is there an airport? Like, has it been blown up and washed away? That's the not. And I mean, listen, while there's some realities out there, the fact is we're still here. <laughs> and the reality is God's got this. But when you're operating without faith, you're going to guarantee to be a people of fear. And, that, and let me just say about faith for a minute. Faith is not a feeling. I don't feel faith daily. I'm not called to feel faith. I'm called to believe in the one who gives us faith. It's not a feeling. It's a person, and that person is Jesus. And Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. So faith comes by your eyes on Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 12. Are you, with, are you there, my friends? So it's not about how we feel, but he writes to this church who were birthed in persecution and opposition, and he's highlighting some things. And he says, we always thank God for you, and we remember your, continue to remember before God and Father, your work produced by faith. Not by works, not by duty, by faith. Your labor prompted by love. In other words, the work you do is not motivated by duty, but by love. Think about that. Friends, we, we, we as the church are known for many things, but love not. Not so much anymore. The crazy season we've just gone through, I'm just trying to be honest. I look on social media, dare look. We took each other out. We were fighting each other. We anti you and anti them. If you don't stand up for this, you anti this. And we just took each other out for like, the devil watched the church just... We were no different to the world in how we reacted to the season. I'm just telling you there's more seasons coming. Hopefully we can motivate and show genuine love. Not love that has benefits for me. A love is we're not like, even if you disagree, I love you. Now, who can do that? Jesus did that, and he wants us to do that. And this early church, if Paul's writing it, they were operating out of love. Are you there, friends? Love for the... Love for Him will give you a love for others. You can't love others if you don't love Him. You can't tolerate others if you don't love Him. It's, so that's why we're going to keep coming back to Him. But He says, your, your labor prompted by love and your endurance, endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to say here, we just in those few verses, the priority for a church, focus of a favorite church, the priority Obviously, it's Jesus Christ. Oh, we know that. Yeah, we know that. But let me ask you honestly, how do you endure? How do you stay inspired? How do you have courage? Let me ask you honestly, where does your hope come from? It's amazing how Paul writes to this church that he planted. And he doesn't say your endurance inspired by your hope in me as your leader, as your planter, as your pastor. He says your hope inspired by endurance inspired by your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Detroit is full of people who've tried church, but they didn't find Jesus. And they had their faith in ministries or leaders or church planters or whatever. Or the church. We're not called to have faith in each other in this room. You're not called to have your faith in any ministry or any person or any marriage or your husband, your spouse, your, whatever your faith is. Here's what I want to prophesy. If it's not in Jesus, you're not going to make it. If it's in us or Him or them or whoever, it's got to be Him and Him alone, Christ. That's it. So where do you get your hope? How do you inspire? Where's courage come from? If you're not by faith, if it's not by fear, then how's it by faith? Well, where do you get your revelation? Paul says, your hope, your endurance inspired by your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people have fallen away from the from God in this COVID time? Honestly, churches, 35,000 churches in the United States shut down, have never opened again. That's a lot of churches. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying they had their faith in the preaching or the preacher or the people rather than in Jesus Christ. And I, 
the hope for this church, the hope for every individual, is your faith, endurance inspired, by your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anywhere else you've finished. I grew up in the church, in ministry. My dad was a missionary, and I was born on the mission field in Africa. All I know is mission, and all I know is church. And I had my faith rocked because I had my, mission, my faith in the church and in people and in mission. None of that will ever be enough. It's only Jesus first. That other stuff is the byproduct of the main ingredient being Jesus Christ. Those of you trying to raise children today, good luck. No need luck. You need Jesus. And if you get your children not to have faith in the church or have faith in your God, have faith for themselves in Jesus Christ, they will stay away from darkness. They've got to have their own relationship, not through their parents, through Jesus themselves. We need the church the same way. Your relationship with Jesus can't be based on Paul or the elders. If you do, you have a grandfather relationship with God. Not, he's not your father, he's your grandfather. And the Bible says that Jesus was the mediator, not your pastor. So while we believe in preaching and coming together, you have access to the same Father He does, the same Jesus He does, and your walk with Jesus, are you ready, is your walk with Jesus, not His. We can cheer each other, but I can't walk Jesus' walk with you for you. I can only do it for me. And so I'm hoping that we know this enough to say that even if things go wrong at times, my revelation of Jesus should never be affected by everyone else's revelation. If a minister falls out of the race, it's tragedy for the people and for the church, but it should not have any bearing on your walk with Him because your walk is with Him. So you can't blame your pastors or leaders or friends. Your walk is your walk. So go big in your walk with Him because He is the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today, there's everything around us is changing, will change. But there's only one who will never change. And if your faith and hope and anchor is not in Him, you're done, friend. You'll never make it, and that would be sad. You know, I love our inheritance is wrapped up with each other here. And I think there is some of that destiny together. And, but I want to say this. Your inheritance isn't wrapped up in each other as much as it's wrapped up in Him. He's the drawing card, not us. And when you have your faith in Him, then you can walk through stuff. Even if people come and go, which unfortunately they do, your, your purpose doesn't leave with that person because you wrapped up your revelation in Jesus. I, I do think it's a thing that needs to keep being presented to me daily and you daily, this revelation of Christ. You know, Jesus is the reason. I've said this, and we've preached this recently. If you were in Chicago with us at the Equip, and He's our reason. Jesus is the reason. People lose their way when they lose their why. Jesus is the reason. He's our head. He's our heart. He's the heart of this church. You're not the heart. He is. And He's the hope. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us is the hope of glory. We're not the hope, Christ in us. Jesus doesn't add to your story. He is your story. And you know what we are? His hands and feet. The church is the hands and feet, not the head, the heart, or the hope. We're the hands and feet of the head, the heart, and the hope. How many of you know Detroit needs to see Jesus? And that's us, the body, operating as the head. I mean, as the, body, as the hands and feet. But not only is He our, is he our, um, our reason, He's our reward. I've I got to be honest, if I can be vulnerable, I get so busy doing stuff for Him that I forget about Him. I do this stuff for Him because that's my call. And there's times He's had to say, but you forgot about me. He did that in the, to the early church, the, the church at Ephesus. Remember in the book of uh, Revelation? I mean, that church was birthed by Paul, the apostle who loved Jesus, was obsessed with Jesus. He plants this church in Ephesus. It says in the city, if you read Acts 18 and 19, it says in the, the name of the Lord was held in high honor in that city. How many of you know people heard about Jesus? The city feared Jesus. They didn't all follow him, but they feared him. So businesses shut down. There was like a revival happening, and Paul plants that church 30, 40, at most 50 years later. Jesus is talking to that church, and he said, you've persevered, you've tested the apostle and found them to be, all these things, you've gone for it, you, but I have one thing against you. I'm like, well, what could that be? You forgot about me. You did stuff for me, 
at the expense of me. If that can happen to that church, it can happen to you and I, and it has happened to the church, where we've got so busy doing things for Him, we forgot about the reason and the reward. He is your reward. Not the stuff you get, not the people we do, not, not the stuff out there. He is my great reward. People love me, people hate me. That's cool. He's the reward. You know what you get when you get Jesus? You get more of Jesus. <laughs> and I think there are too many who are trying to shine their light publicly, but they don't burn for Jesus privately. And the Lord wants to give us that taste. Taste and see that I am good every day, all the time. That should be the testimony of this church. When people think of Border City Church, they should not think of anything other than, wow, Jesus. The prayer of St. Patrick, may Christ shield me today. Christ with me. I love this. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit. Christ when I stand. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Can you imagine that testimony for this church? How many of you know God will favor you if Jesus is the emphasis in everything you say and do? Let's read on. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you. So a, can I just say, a church that carries the focus of a church is priority is Christ. Secondly, your position. Loved and chosen. I think, as I've traveled around our great nation recently again, there does seem to be a lack of revelation of God loves me as a believer. We love to tell the world how much God loves them, but we don't know how much God loves us. You're loved and you're chosen. You can't carry the favor of God if you don't understand you're loved. And can I say, you're not loved here this morning because you're in this room. I love you because you're here. I'm sure Paul and Minda, the elders, are a bit more loving to you because you're here. But God's not loving you more than anyone else who's not here. Because that's conditional love. It's unconditional. Can I, can I be honest? I've got three sons. One of them's here and two other sons. Let me tell you this. I love my sons unconditionally. With conditions. I love them unconditionally, but I love them more when they do things that I like them to do. Because my love, unfortunately, as a man, has conditions. And so we would say, yeah, God loves me unconditionally, but because of our experience with our kids or our parents, or whatever, we actually think He loves me more because I came here this morning. Very hard to be loved by God if it's based on what you do for God. You're, not, you're misunderstanding love, and I do that all the time. But I want to say to you this morning, God loves you. I don't know your history. I don't know how you got here. I want to tell you this. God loves you. It doesn't matter what people say. And until we get that revelation, we're not going to be able to give love to others if we haven't expressed love for ourselves. And it's not an earthly love. It's pure love. It's love that He so loved that He gave His only Son for us. And it's not when you show up at church and when you're doing right things for Him. It's for everyone. He loves the dude out there who's committing sin right now as much as He loves me standing up here trying to rep represent it. I can't understand that, but that's the love of God. So God, uh, Paul writes to this church and he says that you are loved and chosen. Not only are you loved, walk around feeling the love of God, but He chose you. That's incredible grace. That's incredible love. Not just I, I, I love you, I chose you. Handpicked from heaven. With all your stuff and all your nonsense and all your issues and all your... He handpicks you and I and says, for such a time as this. I love you and I've chosen you. And they carry the favor when you understand that. And that's what Paul writes to that church. They carry favor. Be it and do it. See, therapeutic Christianity says, I am valuable, so God loves me. But biblical Christianity says, I am valuable because God loves me. Are you there? You've got to keep living. I've got to keep living in the love of God. That's how you carry the favor of God. Let's read on verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words. In other words, not merely in the form of words, but also with power. 
with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how I lived among you for your sake. So the, the, another thing that a, a God favors a church that carries His power. Now, friends, I, I know that there's so many different teachings and understandings, and I'm just telling you power means power. A lot of people like to talk about power, but there is no power in their lives or in the church. Others are all about power, forgetting everything else. And I'm just telling you, Paul didn't say there's no such thing as the word. He said, I didn't just come with word, but also power, both. And like you find it today, I'm sure even in Detroit, some are for and some are against. Some are wild and some believe in the power of God and others are like, I don't need it today. And I'm just telling you, all those people who told us that, I'm not judging their hearts. I'm judging their theology. Let's just go back to the Word of God. What does, the, what does God have to say about God Himself, the Spirit? And I've had people say to me, you know, the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. Well, He's not. He's actually God. If he's a blessing from God, we have the right to reject him. I don't want that blessing. But the Bible doesn't teach the Holy Spirit's a blessing from God. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. So when you're rejecting the blessing, you're actually rejecting God himself. Am I making sense? And so he's not an experience, although we get to experience him. And if you've had a bad experience, that's not him. That's us forcing you to something. He, But he's God. You can trust God, the Holy Spirit. Can't trust people. We can trust God, the Holy Spirit. And we cannot be a people who carry the favor of God if we're not walking in the power of God. And there's such an anti-power of God struggle in the church today. I mean, when I read statistics, it's very troubling. Um, it says a recent study says a while the majority of American self-identified Christians believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, the creator of the universe, more than half reject the existence of the Holy Spirit. More than half of American churchgoers, that's us, even though I don't have your accent, I'm one of you, reject the existence. The Holy Spirit doesn't even exist. More than half the church reject that in America today. You say, how? It's because we've made it an optional extra for deluxe Christians. When He's not, He is God, and we need to walk with His revelation of who He is. You know, there's people say there's a great threat against the Word of God. I want to tell you the greatest threat against God's Word is not those who directly oppose it, but it's those who claim to believe it, but are ignorant to what it really says. And we seem like we're ignorant to what the Word of God especially has to say about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking you not to go to preachers and pastors to tell you what the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit. Ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal to you God the Holy Spirit through God's Word, He will teach you who He is, but He's not an optional extra. You can't. We cannot live in what He called us to without His presence and His power in our lives. Not for the preachers, for every believer. This church has been given that power, and Paul said we didn't come with just Word, but also with power. America needs to see the demonstration of power. Jesus is alive. Let's show them. Let's convince them by signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not for old school. It's not dead when Jesus is gone. It's alive and well. The church needs to show the world who Jesus is. And I've watched. If I can convince someone into the kingdom, someone can convince them out of the kingdom. I've tried that many times. But when there's a demonstration of power, a demonstration of the kingdom, people are saying, this thing's real. And that's what God's about. So you carry His power. And I don't know what you've been taught, but I'm saying go back to the Word of God. Let the Word of God teach you what the Word of God has to say. Uh, Philip Yancey said, a society that, de that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. If you deny the supernatural, you take natural and you put it at supernatural status. Now, that's happening in the world, but it's in the church. We put pa leaders and pastors and giftings and we put them as the top of the pile because we have rejected the supernatural. I'm not supernatural, you're not supernatural, but He's given us supernatural power. And we don't elevate people or gifts. We don't elevate the natural. We elevate the supernatural. They're there. It's not by might, nor by power. One of the most quoted verses. It's never going to be by might. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might. Speaking about the might of the people. He was speaking to King Cyrus. And what he was saying is the number of people you have is never going to be enough. Not by might. 
And we measure church success on how big the buildings and how big the people are, honestly. And he's saying, you'll never be big enough. It's not by the might, nor by power. What he was saying to King Cyrus, it's not about your position as king. Not enough. Not the people, not your position, but by my spirit. This calling, this favor, is a people walking in his spirit. We don't need to activate the Holy Spirit. We don't even need to invite Him. He's God. He doesn't need an invitation. He's God. He doesn't need activation. Imagine us activating God. Actually, He activates us, just so you know. So I love the language, but it's all wrong. So we've got this misconception, telling the Holy Spirit what to do. Now move, Holy Spirit. Imagine me telling God what to do. Invite Him here. He's here. He doesn't need an invitation. You know what we need to do? Not activate Him, not invite Him. Honor Him. And when you honor Him in your life, and in your, you watch what He can do, wants to do. Um, and some say, well, you know, I like the Spirit stuff, but I'm, it's kind of weird, so I would love it without the unusual, right? I was kind of saying, like, I want to swim, but I don't want to get wet. Like, you're going to get wet if you swim. Like, there is stuff that happens that's not always usual, but it's not to draw to Him, it's to draw to Him. And that's what He does. All right. Let's read quickly. I'm landing. But I am. You'll be impressed, Paul. Verse 6. Verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia, a pattern, a model. Now, if I, if I can challenge us this morning to this, Why do we always have to go back to the book of Acts and go, gee, if only we could be like them? That was the early church. Can I suggest that was the baby church? That's how the church was birthed. 2,000 years later, we should be that and more. But it seems like we've always got to go back to the Bible and go, if only we lived in those days, if only we could get back to the beginning. And while it's always important, I already talked about how we need to get back to the Word of God and stay there. I would suggest that God's desire for Border City Church is that Border City Church would be an example of the book of Acts. In other words, we could read the book of Acts and go, wow, that's awesome. But we could also look at people in Detroit and around the world could say, Border City Church, they're an example. That's what it means to be followers of Jesus with different cultures, different backgrounds, different people, all serving God together and getting on with their call together with all these people. That's, it should be the book of Acts and Border City Church. It would seem that's what he had for, the Macedon- uh, for uh, this church. He would say, that church, you became a pattern, a model, not to the sinners, to the believers. This church has been birthed in God to be not the model, but a model that actually we can work together if we all lay down our agendas and serve Jesus. And people are going to be like, well, this isn't natural. And you're like, exactly, nothing natural. This is God doing His work, and we're just simply walking with Him. It's not about us. It's always about Him. But friends, there's got to be a moment where we shift from only Scripture to Scripture being lived out today in this room more and more. And it's not up to the leaders or the different people. It's up to every believer who's called to be here to say, I'm in, not for them or the city, to be an example to the world of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in, 20, in 2023 in the United States of America in Detroit. He, you are becoming that. Stay becoming that. Keep becoming that. Means get over your irritations with each other because, yeah, yeah, people irritate each other. Heck yeah. I wouldn't, if I could do this alone, I would do it. But I can't. And if God could do it alone, He would do it. But He chose to involve me and us. So if you're getting irritated, get over your irritation. So this is a God thing and let's get on with God. (laughs) Be it. Don't just talk about it. You know, I love this nation for many things, but the one thing I don't like is that we think it's all going to be government. Forgive me. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying. Can I say the one thing we need more than Christian books? Christian movies, Christian music, Christian media, Christian government, Christian business, Christian school, Christian. We need Christian Christians. 
That's all we need. I mean, I'm not anti all that other stuff, but we always say that we need more of that. No, we need us to be us. We need Christians simply to be Christians so we could say that's what it means to be a Christian today in Detroit, Michigan, together in Border City Church. Good news for all of you is I'm flying out today, so don't get mad. I'm heading back to Denver. You can be glad I don't live here, I guess. Verse 8. says, The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The proclaiming. Can I just say that from the Lord's message rang out from that place everywhere. See, having received the gospel, the Thessalonians had no intention of keeping it to themselves. Charles, Stanley, uh, Charles Spurgeon says, It's not believe that you have tasted... He said, I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you, if you can eat it all by yourself. You cannot have tasted the goodness of God without telling someone else. See, from the beginning, they functioned as a going and sending people, apostolic. This weird word that many have taken out of context, it's a simple word that means going and sending. They didn't know anything else. They received the word, and the word rang out from them. They never held on. They kept taking it and going and taking the gospel everywhere. That's what they were birthed in. And somehow we've got this go-to mentality where we sit and we get told it. When God said, no, from here the message has got to ring out. Wherever you go, telling people, not about your church, about Jesus. The church is not a goal of mission. It's the agent for mission. We don't send people. We are sent, all of us. God never told the world to go to the church, but He did tell the church to go to the world. And we're waiting for them to come to us when the Lord said, you go to them. That's what we've been called. This gospel is dynamic, friends. And it is powerful. It took a wretched sinner like me and turned me, not from a good guy to a bad, not a bad guy to a good guy, but a dead person to a, a live person. It can change anyone and everyone. And it's powerful. And Paul said, don't not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. But do you know in that power, there is limitation to the gospel. The Bible actually tells us, cannot save until it's first believed. Cannot believe until it's first heard. It cannot be heard until someone goes and preaches it. So that powerful gospel that transforms lives from the inside out, takes dead and makes them alive, actually is limited to it can't be believed till it's heard. It can't be heard till it's been spoken. And it won't be spoken until we go and take it. It's not to feel bad, but this gospel ringing out day in and day out, wherever you've gone, wherever you're called to go. And I love this, that the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of mission. The nearer I get to Jesus, the more missional I am. You can't walk with Jesus and have this connection to Christ and be disconnected to the people out there. You've got to have a heart for them if you have His heart. He draws me close to Him, nearer to mission, nations, cities. This church has been called to the nations. And while you're a church of nations, and America has all these nations here, God's called this church to be a nation's people. Even if it's a handful of you, it's not about when you have your size. Man, we talked about that. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. You are a nation's people. We've got to go. They're unreached people. I don't know what to tell you, but we get to hear the gospel every 24 hours in America, they say. Every 24 hours, someone in America will hear the gospel preached. But you know the unreached regions? Every 30-something years, someone might have the opportunity to hear the gospel preached once. To me, I don't, that's just not right. You say, ah, oh, well, that's someone else's problem. God will take care of it. Yeah, He will, by sending His people, us, in this room, to take this gospel to the all nations. That's what will bring the end. So I hope it's in your heart, friend, that it's not just about here. While your city is the greatest city and the center of God's will, I understand all that, but God has a plan for every region. Every. Matthew 24, you want to know how it ends? Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all people groups, and then the end will come. So I don't know how it all ends, but I know what brings the end this gospel to everyone. So if we want Jesus to come back, best we get on with getting this gospel to all nations, not just our cities and regions, 
It's all. Not when you get your city thing right, then go to the nations. You'll never get it right. It's all. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Not then the uttermost parts of the earth, like most churches preach. It's all. So it's not to get out of America, but it's to get this gospel everywhere. Is that in your heart? Because God wants to provide for you to do that if you would step out in faith. This church, it's in your DNA. Birthed in the early church. It says of that church, Thessalonica Church, your, your faith has become known everywhere. This is what I land with. It says, Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That speaks of perspective. I believe God favors a church, a people, who have an eternal perspective. As you eagerly, as you wait for the return of Jesus, for Jesus to come back. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? If you don't, please read the Bible. You need to be ready. He is coming back. When? I don't know. And something they do know, they don't. But it's sooner, it's 2,000 years sooner than they believed in the early church. Later. I mean, He's coming. And I believe it's soon. But can you imagine if we lived with an eternal perspective that Jesus is coming back? Like COVID. Again, I don't want to highlight COVID, but it gave people eternal perspective. Some people died. I lost family members. My uncle passed away from COVID, died. So it's no joke. But in saying that, it's suddenly we began to think life is short. People are, but it's like the longer we kind of get back to some normality, we begin to forget about eternity. I'm just telling you, the early church lived with eternal understanding. And God favors the people who get the revelation of eternity. Jesus is coming back soon. These people that we walk past daily, they're not going to have an opportunity soon, and we've got to help just step out and live, not in fear, but in understanding everything we do matters. C.S. Lewis says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. He also said, prosperity knits a person to the world. They feel that they're finding their place in it, while really it's finding its place in them. Keep eternal perspective. Don't get caught up. You can have stuff. You should be blessed. But it's not about the stuff. Keep eternity in your mind and your decision making. I believe you cannot confess that this world is not your home if you fear giving up the keys to your house. I'm not saying give away your house. I'm just saying don't be so bored in that you can't do anything. There's another life. There's a better life. This life is the dress rehearsal for the next. What we do in this life echoes into the next. Nothing you do is wasted if it's done for eternity. Friend, even if no one else sees it, it doesn't matter. Your eternity, you will be rewarded. That's what we've got to catch again and live for. And I think for too long we've said this. I'm close. See that turned us off. And it's a, bit, it's a good question, but we often have said this as preachers. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Now, how many of you know that's a major question to be answered? How you answer that determines your eternity forever. But often, most times, we leave it there. I want to suggest go on and say this. If you are to wake up tomorrow as a believer, which is the majority, I, would, I don't know all of you, but I'm surmising you all know Jesus. If you don't, I want to introduce you to Him. But having said that, it is likely, more likely, that all of us will wake up tomorrow morning. And as important as if you die tonight, where will you spend eternity? As important, if you wake up tomorrow morning, who and what will you live for? That's as important as if you die tonight. So don't emphasize just the dying, emphasize the living. We have to emphasize who or what we will live for. You want significance to your life? Understand eternity. Everything matters from who you see, where you go, how you work, what you do. It matters when you've got an eternal perspective. So I say to you tonight, today, if you die tonight, where will you spend eternity? Not based on you being in church, based on you having a revelation of what Jesus has done and believing in what He's done. That set, settles your eternity. But the majority of you tomorrow morning will wake up. 
who or what we live for. God favors the peoples, the guarantee of His presence and the guarantee of His power and provision to serve His purpose. That's the promise for this church. That's the call for this church. That's been the, how many years have you been here? Seven years. Gee, that's Jubilee, year of Jubilee. Let's go. This is the new season. I can get all biblical. I won't. Weird numbers. But I really want to say that. I, and some of you have new, maybe even looking in. I don't know. Maybe you're like, is this the church? It's weird. It's so different. Yeah, but if God wants you where He wants you, go for it. Don't waste your time praying about something He's already said. Don't like look for something you'll never find. This is it. This is the best it gets. He's the attraction, not us. But there is something significant happening in our nation and in the nations right now. It's like a moment. And I feel, I've been here two days, there's something God's doing in this region. Don't miss it. It's going to require of us to step out, not for people, for Him. And I was having dinner with these guys last night, and I said, you know what, I, I think God's really challenging us to keep laying down provision to keep walking in His purpose. In other words, sometimes the blessing of God actually takes the place of the call of God. That we we holding on to what He gave in order to walk in the more. I mean, and He's saying, lay down what I gave to have the more. And I'm not just saying give money to the church. I'm saying live there's some stuff God's going to ask in this next season, I believe, of this congregation, this handful of people. He's going to say, well, how does it look at us? How are we going to do what we... It's not how, it's respond to what He says. And it's in those moments of stepping in faith. When you step, God provides. When you wait for God, it doesn't happen. But when, Am I making sense? So please don't go, oh, it can't happen. If it's God, it's got to happen. It should be the heartbeat. How do we do more of what God's called us to Rather, do we wait till we fill this place and get a bigger facility? And I understand that's, that's, that's natural thinking. But I feel like the Lord's saying, if you're going to be an example of testimony, it's going to be stuff you're going to do that makes no sense, but it's going to be, wow, God did something. But it can't be a couple of leaders going, we can do this. It's everyone saying, if it's God, let's do it. And you're not buying into a church, you're buying into the kingdom. Am I making sense? I don't even know how for you, but... There's something here. I'm here, and I just I appreciate Paul saying, hey, take up an offering for us. We don't want your money. I'm just being, I love that, that you're honored by that. I, I'm going to give it straight back to your next venture, if I get anything, because I don't know if anyone gave. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm not here for your money. I'm not, I get nothing, no, I got no, but my skin is in the game. I'm here by my own. We paid for ourselves to get you. I'm not making you feel bad. I'm here by my choice, not just invitation. And I'm all in, because I believe there's something here. And you say, well, you don't live here. Yeah, if God said live here, I'd, jump, I'd be here. I'd like to live here. But it's not where you like, it's where He puts you. But I'm in. Are you in? Are you still in? Are you waiting to see? Or are you saying, God, I'm in. We're going to be an example. Not for Paul and Minda, not for this church, not for this region. Please, you can't, it's not for Detroit. If you, it's for anything other than Jesus, you're going to hate the place you live and the people you do church with. But if it's for the king, it's like, okay. There's bigger churches out there, but if this is what God has me, there's something significant he's doing here. I'm all in. Are you okay? Can I pray?